Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, hello, everyone. I'm actually kind of sad today because I'm in here in the recording studio and I'm the only one in here, but that doesn't mean that Zach is with us. He is here, not only in spirit, but from his house. Zach, how are you? I'm doing well. For a minute, you made it sound like I was dead. You're like, <laughs> I'm, uh, Zach's not here with us. You know, and I'm like, what the heck? Well, there's an episode of, some, I think it's uh, an office or a uh, Parks and Rec where the same thing, where they phrase it that way. And they're like, oh my God. I think it's God. Michael probably would phrase it yes. where everyone thinks they're dead. And yes. Like, no, you're like, not. what? No, uh, Zach is very much alive, but he is recovering from COVID. He'll be yes um, ready to go. Um, Zach, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but how are you health-wise? I'm good now. Can't taste certain things. That's the most unfortunate part of this right now. But, I mean, I feel a lot better. Definitely sucked the first few days, but I'm I'm glad to be recording and getting to talk to you because it's, it's kind of stuck sucked being in my apartment alone. So. Tell Tell them about the Cheeto. Oh, Okay. Well, the best way I can explain my current taste situation is that I last night tried Cheeto puffs because I was like, well, I've had some very unfortunate things with eating certain foods, like some chicken and stuff in my apartment. But I was like, you know what? I want to see if I can eat something and explain it well to someone. So I ate some Cheeto puffs, hoping that they would taste good to me. Unfortunately, they taste like I'm eating just the puff. There's no cheese flavor when I eat Cheetos. Uh, and it's very disappointing. This is heartbreaking, like in a very joking way, suffering. Yes. Very, very, I'm literally suffering. Literally, when you can't Nothing taste, I want to eat tastes good, and it's very unfortunate. When you can't, that seems like, I don't know if, if you've ever watched uh, The Good Place, but yes. that seems like a tactic that would be used on The Good Place. Like, we're going to give them infinite Cheeto puffs, but they'll only be able to taste the puff. <laughs> So I, um, I don't wish that upon anybody. That sounds absolutely terrible. But we don't want to sit around and talk about illnesses and our favorite TV shows. We're here to talk about puzzles. And we're super excited because we have another digital game to talk about today. And it's our very first Avatar game. We're talking about Dracula's new friends. Hang around after the break because we're going to be diving into it. Hey friends, Jared here asking you to join our Patreon community. Monthly support is a great way to help us in our mission of growing the at-home puzzle and mystery world. So check out our show notes or go to patreon.com and search Puzzling Company and find the membership level that's right for you. Well, welcome back in to Puzzling Company. Definitely, definitely heed the words of the ad. We would love to have you as one of our patrons in any level that you can. It would just be a blast to get to know you, to talk about puzzles, and to potentially play some games with you, depending on what level you join in. But we want to hop into now to talking about Dracula's new friends. Zach, we know that this is a game with a live avatar, but tell us more about what to expect when playing this experience. What was it like? And then we'll jump into what we really enjoyed about this game. Yeah, so I don't want to spoil too much of what happens in the actual game, but it is a team experience. So we played over Zoom 
and there was telescape so you get to play through the telescape program but myself jared and a, a good friend of ours ben um, was able to play and so what we did is we played through this experience trying to help out dracula he was our new best friend but there's way more that happens that we did not expect when we first meet this character yeah and so you uh, the way that it kind of plays out is you you have one screen open in Zach's right, so you can play Telescape. You're playing part of the game. And then you have a, a Zoom, a Discord, or a, a whatever you really want with the Game Master and Actor on it. And you're kind of going between both, between narrative and puzzling. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a shout out to, to Ben as well. Ben is one of our core members, and he came and played the game with us because he's one of our dope patrons. And so... If that sounds interesting to you, join on that core group and we'll we'll play games monthly, weekly, depending on what our schedule looks like. But that was a lot of fun to get to do that with someone that has dedicated to supporting us. So definitely shout out to Ben for being in on that level and, and looking out for us on the month to month. But I want to I want to jump in now to talking about Zach, what we really enjoyed about this game. Keep in mind, we said this last episode, this was our first Avatar game that we're talking about on the show um, mm-hmm. It was fun to have Ben because Ben has played quite a few more than us. And we get, when we debriefed, we got to have some of his insight in it as well. But for Zach and I, Zach, where do you, where do you want to start? What did we really enjoy about this game? Yeah. So the first thing I kind of wanted to talk about that I thought we really liked was the acting slash the, like the GM of the game. I totally agree with you. Uh, it was, and, and that started with, there was customer service on the front end where, our game master was almost checking us in, but he was very intentional to not let us see him. We heard his voice. He helped us prepare for the game. And then what happened from there, Zach? Yeah. So then from there, like you get these, uh, you get fun narration through videos and it was really cool watching because there's some puppeteering happening in it and some time goes by and then it just randomly switches uh you'll get like a prompt on your telescope saying that you know someone's asking for your attention and you look at your zoom or wherever you're you're playing from and you get to see your actor uh dressed up as the character that is currently there and it was really cool having that interaction because they will like you said early on not seeing them and then get to see that like cool transition to like meet the character but then as the game goes on there are more characters yes and it's it's really cool how the actor did a really good job of transitioning between characters quickly but then how they like hit it using like the the narrative or the videos and things you did so that whenever it did pop up it was kind of like a very well thought out transition it it, it absolutely was and i didn't put together i'm i'm a little thicker than most people but I didn't put together that the title of the game is Dracula's new friends. I didn't put together that we were his friends. Like I thought, I thought like I, I watch a lot of movies with my kids and I was thinking very like hotel Transylvania. I was like, Oh, we're going to meet, get to meet like Frankenstein and uh, a mummy and a werewolf. And then like halfway through it dawned on me like, Oh, like we're his new friends. And I, I laughed because there is a narrative part of the game where you get to go meet Dracula. And it was we had to decipher something that was going on and we were doing it. And it was just funny because we were, you know, we we're like partially guessing the word. So we weren't finishing the full cipher. And when we were doing it, I just looked at there's an emblem somewhere in the game. And of course, but there's specifically something that points strictly kind of to that character. And I was just like, wait a minute, like, 
Why didn't I just guess this the entire time? Yeah, why does it? Why did it take me this long to realize that it's directly it's pointing so, me in the face? Like that's what they're trying to do. It's so on theme that we could have just <laughs> moved through it, and that's not a knock. That's as we're going to talk about later on, and what we really loved about this game that the game did an excellent job of, of its puzzles driving the narrative. But we'll get to that. But I think the other part we want to talk about is the acting was good, our GM was good, but then the actual function of game mastering and giving us nudges or hints or all of that, that was very well handled by our game mm-hmm. master. I, when I play an escape room, cause this is the only other thing that I can really relate this to because you have an active or you should have an active GM when you play an escape room is I don't like heavy handed game mastering. I like mm-hmm. to ask for it. And then I usually tell our game master on the way in, like, if I'm way off in left field and I need to be in right field, like, please nudge me. And I didn't give any of that feedback at the beginning of this. I kind of just let the experience happen. But I felt like our game master did a really great job of nudging us. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, we never asked. Um, like, specifically in our game, we really didn't ask for any nudging. But I thought he did a, I thought they did a really good job of nudging us when they thought we were stuck on something or we were missing like one detail because it really did help a lot. And it, it never felt intrusive no. in terms of like we were doing something and it was just like, okay, now our actor's telling us something, you know, and we're like, please stop. I'm, I'm working on this. I don't need to be told, you know, or whatever. Absolutely. And there were, there were instances where we were even struggling with the telescape part of things. Mm-hmm. And they were able to come in and kind of sort through that live on screen while, and I think this is the kicker for me and what makes it so good while staying in character, right? Yeah. It was, if we needed a nudge, it was, here's your nudge. And uh, this is, here's an extra couple pieces of information on why we're doing it. And it, it, it's just fun. Like I hearken back to our first episode of digital where we we're saying like why we, we think this is going to be great and where we feel like the advantages of avatar games in. And this just reiterated what I said. It's like, it's that adaptive freedom that the game master has to really deliver a superb experience. And that, that hit well with me. Like it's not going to be the same game every time each group is going to bring something different. And I think it's even just fun as an extrovert to in character kind of like role play with it. Like, Uh, and I, I, I think I did that more than you and Ben. And I think that's just the difference in our personalities, but that's fun to me because you th- that person is so much an important part of the world. And when they're able to have quippy comebacks and stay in character and things like that, I'm like, you're just continuing the world building experience. So mm-hmm. mad shout outs to our, our game master, who is, as you will discover in the last part of our episode, also the creator, designer, and owner of this company. But they just, I thought they did a fantastic job. They really did. I want to talk more, Zach. We hinted at this a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about the transitions and how I really think that in Dracula's New Friends, that was done really, really well. Mm -hmm. Give us a little more light again, like if you could reiterate how that was done and and why we appreciated that so much. Yeah, I mean, it was just very well done narratively, too. But it was kind of like, you know, we would, as an example, like when we started the game, we had like a full like minute narrative experience where we watched like some puppets explain the story of what we're doing at the current moment. But then we get to play. We did puzzles through Telescape and we were able to like solve certain puzzles working together as a team or not, depending on the puzzle, you know, and get through it. But then it would they did a really good job of transitioning from a style of the game 
to to the narrative so that you would watch more and get more understanding of what's kind of going on or what the story of the game is trying to tell you yes you know to transitioning you to the new act like to the actors change you know from character to character or whatever happens for that character you know to transitioning to a new room where we did puzzles that were required to move the narrative it was just all very well done like i never felt like we were stuck in a small space way too long or couldn't explore if that's how i would word it yeah i think that's fair because one of one of my pet peeves in playing a game where we're limited on our time is just kind of superfluous narrative that's eating at my time and obviously if you play this game you know why the transitions exist because you are meeting different character live characters it all makes sense but i was just rather impressed by the fluidity and the creativity of how they did that you've talked about the puppets the puppets come into play it all just matched really well so zach what is the the last thing that we really enjoyed about this game we really enjoyed the puzzling and that sounds very broad and it kind of is but we we really enjoyed, there's a lot of different aspects of the puzzling that I thought we both really enjoyed and I Ben enjoyed when we played it. And I think one of the things I specifically liked a lot was that it never felt crowded. And what I mean by that is we were able to play the game and there was enough space for everyone to do their own puzzles, but then work together. To me, it never felt like it was Jared and I and Ben all like sitting on the same puzzle, staring at it, like, and we all couldn't like interact with it in some way or at least contribute. So it was really cool having that element in the game. Yeah, they made the puzzle structure linear, but each element had many different things that could be worked on at the same time and a lot of different puzzle types. And I agree with you. And I think that's one of the main advantages of Telescape is you can have all of these people in the same space at the same time. So utilize that. Have objects A, B, C, and D. And yes, it never really felt like we were tripping over each other. Even when it was very apparent that we were reaching a bottleneck and puzzling, it felt like if you weren't the one working on that last puzzle, that you had done enough and that you were part of the team and that you still had your moment to shine. So I felt like the the puzzle flow was set up very well and very intentionally. And then it led up, in my opinion, then to a really great finish to the game and a, a really good meta. Yeah, and the meta was very well done. What What did you like specifically about the meta? It just was like a, I mean, what a meta does well is just wrapping up everything you've done, you know, and kind of giving you this big puzzle that kind of shows you parts or pieces of elements that you've worked on from other parts of the game, right? And this one specifically is a meta in terms that it it literally brings back a lot of the puzzles you literally did, but in, in new ways or ways of editing it. So it felt a little new in terms of, or it felt more expanded upon. Which I really right. liked because it it did at first when we realized that the meta was solving like eight puzzles you've done before, but they were all very different in terms of like they either got like more complicated or had further steps to make it not as simple. Yes. I thought it was really well done. And they're they're all fun puzzles. Like there wasn't one that I really felt like, oh, this is kind of like a waste of my time or shoehorned. I agree. With like the narrative of the theming, you know. And that for like me that. went throughout the entire experience, like the puzzles were driving the narrative. There wasn't a puzzle in there that felt shoehorned. It was all very organic to the world that was being built for us. And then with the meta that it finished on, 
it all just kind of made sense. Like it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be a super difficult game. It was just fun. Like I just, yeah. I just really enjoyed playing through it. And I think we touched on this a little bit with the art style when we were talking through the transitions, like all of that did it justice as well. So yes. overall, I just think it's a, a really fun, enjoyable game. If you're just looking for a game that has a great GM that has fun puzzles and you're just looking for, you know, a fun 70 minutes, play this game. You will not be disappointed in the least yeah. bit. But let's talk about now, Zach, where we felt like there were some some room for improvements, because as we say, with every game, it feels like even the greatest game can still make small strides. Where in this game did you feel like there were some room for improvements? Yeah, so the first one we kind of had was was specifically kind of discussing the puzzle types in the game and that some of them were kind of repetitive. So one is an example we had was there's there's a jigsaw puzzle in the game. There are multiple of them. Yes. But it kind of felt like we did we did some and then we did way more of them and then it came up again. So it was they were well done jigsaw puzzles and they I thought they were like made sense but it just felt like I was doing way too many of them. Yes. You know, at some point it was kind of like, okay, like I was like fine doing like the first few. And then it kind of just hit me. I was like, wow, I still got more. Uh, and they were like, so they're very well done art style and they looked cool and they made sense in the narrative, but they just kind of, at some point you you've done the same puzzle so many times that you, you start really noticing it. Yeah. I, um, and I, I totally agree with you on that front. The other part of it for me is that, I don't think the jigsaw worked really well with how it was set up in telescape because there were multiple times where there are pieces hiding underneath what you already have. And telescape is great, but it's not always the most precise tool when you're needing to touch something or get something very specific. So I found myself a couple of times being like, Oh my gosh, we have to take this puzzle all apart because there's a puzzle piece underneath. And that puzzle type in that world isn't always my favorite because you're not working in a three-dimensional environment. You can't stick your hand under there. And I think you could also like have the the puzzle spread out more, right? Because oftentimes when we started with the jigsaw, it was all on top of each other. So I yes. think like if the puzzle was spread out and I realized that probably makes it a little easier, then yeah. that helps. But yeah, those two points on the jigsaw is too many and not in design of how they could be used. I think those could be two things that could be very easily fixed. But it, at the end of the day, it didn't really take away from my enjoyment. But when we were talking about it, it did kind of stick out because the other puzzles were just so much more diverse and so much more enjoyable, in my opinion. Mm. But the but the other side of that, I could argue, is like, I think some Avatar games don't necessarily lend themselves to younger player friendliness. Yeah. And a jigsaw puzzle is a puzzle that someone who is not puzzle adept, any, anybody can do the jigsaw puzzle. Like when you and I play, I always do the jigsaw puzzle. Ben, God bless him, took it upon himself to do the hardest jigsaw puzzle uh, when we were working through one part of it and he was getting after it. But yep. it was, uh, I think that was said enough, but yeah, that, that was one plot. The other thing that I would say is, and I think this is important because Zach and I had different experiences with this. Zach was playing at his house on a dual monitor setup. So he had one screen with just telescope and one screen with just the game master. And in his experience, I know you said like that gave you enough room to really feel like you could mess with everything. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Like, I mean, having like dual or three monitor setup, like I could have everything I wanted and not 
you know, like question it or like, or I guess in terms of what Jared is going to kind of discuss is that when you play on like one monitor and you have telescape and zoom or the, the application or program you're using for the video call part of it, it could feel small in terms that you, we were instructed to have both the game yes. and the zoom call up so that we could always see the, the actor as well as do the game. And I could see how if you played on like a laptop or a small screen or one screen that you, you would, the world would feel kind of small or you wouldn't be able to immerse yourself fully in it because you were like, you had to keep both of them like kind of not as big as you'd want them to be like the full screen effects. Yes. Right. You know, but for me, I didn't feel that as much because I did have two screens so I could easily put one on my right side and one on my left and easily look at both and, enjoy the experience like see the full world on both ends and not be interrupted if that makes sense no i think that makes i think that makes a lot of sense and and again that's what i was experiencing is sometimes it just felt not prohibitive but i'm you know i'm scooting closer to my monitor and i I think that's just something to keep in mind is if you only have one screen you're fine you'll still get a wonderful experience but in mine, it did feel, especially I would say more towards the beginning where things were a little more detail oriented and telescape that, yeah. that, that was a little hindering for me, um, mm. because I, it was just scale. It was just a scale issue for me. So I would say, just don't be afraid to have two full screens, but if, if you're good at alt tabbing, just to have those two programs up to go between when your game master is talking to you. And when it, I, I would probably replay the experience like that. And Zach, what is the, the last thing then that, um, actually this was brought up to us by Ben, our, our patron who played with us. What did he say and, and how did you feel about it? So the way we would describe it is in this game, there are real world elements. And so what we mean by that is that there are parts of the game in which you are needing to do something in real life to solve a puzzle that is in the game or to help with narrative reasons. Can you, so the, can you give us an sorry. example of like, like make up your own thing that we would have to do, but don't try not to give anything away about the experience. What would you say? Like when you mean real world, like what, okay. Give, the give, way give I example. would explain it without giving away any direct thing is like a show. I'm going to say a show. Imagine doing a show and tell, you know, like mm. I go like, okay, bring me something you think is really cool. That's it. And you know, and then Jared shows me like, this really cool statue he has, you know, and you're like, okay, that's really cool. Thanks for showing me that. That's it. You know? So it felt like if there are moments in the game where we had those types of quote unquote, like show and tell moments. Yes. Where you were, we were needing to show something or do something to help either finish a puzzle or move narrative. Like doing the experience, I kind of enjoyed the real world elements because it gave like a fun way to interact between the actor and us about certain elements. But I could understand how, like when Ben had discussed it, it isn't a potential immersion breaker because it's going like, okay, well, I want you to be in this, you know, this fantasy world where you're, you're with Dracula and these other characters that you've not met. And now you're random, you know, I say randomly, but now you're going to go find something in your house and present it. And you're like, okay, like, I don't know why I really, I mean, it made sense narratively, like why you're doing it, but it does feel like an immersion breaker in terms of like, okay, I have to do something now and show it to my the actor. I will also say 
this is a very, very, very minor thing, but I think anyone who plays this game, you should have a camera. Uh, yes. I unfortunately played the experience without one, and it was the actor was fantastic. And, you know, and my, you know, Jared and Ben, it was really fun watching them play the game and seeing their faces. Unfortunately, I couldn't see mine. But uh, it does take away from some of those real life moments as well when it's like, I need you to tell me something or present it, and I, can't show it so it's just a like a believing the person and obviously like, i don't think people were gonna lie to play this game <laughs> but you know like it, it is a thing of like they could see like I, I had to present something and then i had to be like well it's actually here but you can't see it so you just have to believe me just yeah. trust me yeah no i think those are good points because and we had a good discussion about that because that had never even occurred to me so i think it i think that more than anything could just be like uh you may notice this you may not notice this but just something to be aware of. And I think you bring up a great, great point about the camera overall though, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong though, this, uh, I'm super pumped that this is the game that we started with. I think no matter when you play a new medium, the first thing that you always play kind of sets the standard for you. And you're very easy based on the first game that you've ever played in a genre to say like, Oh, this was way worse than this, or this was way better than this. And it kind of almost becomes the litmus test moving forward until you have something better or a new medium or something else mm -hmm. to gauge yourself. So I'm very excited for when we get to play another avatar game to kind of compare and contrast with what we experienced with Dracula's new friends, but that's really going to wrap us up for our first section. Hang on with us. We have puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Puzzlers, we need your help. We need you to leave us a five-star review so that more people can find us. It doesn't matter if you prefer the black and electric green of Spotify or the medley of pink and blue at Apple. Go to wherever you listen to this podcast Click that five-star rating and let's grow our community together. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here we are in the middle section of our show, which we called Puzzle to the People, where we're talking about puzzly things that matter to the people. And in the future, we're going to be having some of our core patron members um, on to discuss different things, which we're super excited about. It's just going to be a really great time discussing the ins and outs and a little more of a deep dive of the world that we're in. So Zach, I want you to hazard a guess at what we're talking about in the middle section here today, because I don't think you're going to figure it out. I love the fact that we keep it a secret from you. Can you guess what we're talking about in the middle section? I would guess avatar based games because we did play our very first one, but you're probably not going to make it that broad. Oh, you know, we're going to so talk about well. acting in games. Uh, no, I, we are not. We're we're going to be talking today about timers in games. That's very interesting. Okay. Here's why. And All right. if, if you disagree with me on this, we'll scrap the whole middle section and nobody will ever know the difference. This will never make the light of day. There is a timer going on in the game that we played today, but you never knew it. You never saw what? it, but it was there. Was there way Okay, there is a timer at one point, not in terms that you see it, but you are discuss you're told about it. Correct. I guess the game is technically being timed from the moment you start it to when you end, but you never do see it or you don't have to ask about it. That is interesting. Yeah. 
it became very aware to me when we were near the end of the game. And I thought, oh, like our game master can't have this run on for three hours if we were a terrible group. And it dawned on me like he has to run his business on a timer. If he's got a game at 1.30 and a game at 3, he has got to get us through this game. But how do you do that? Well, escape rooms, they traditionally have a timer in a game. We have played a couple of games that have timers in the various different formats that we've played, but the creator chose not to have that. And we're going to get to ask them about that. But I thought this was the most interesting opportunity and time to talk about that, talk about how we see this in different games, our preferences on that. But before we do all that, now I want to kind of rehash that, like, there, there realistically is a timer in this game, but you never see it. It's never really talked about until the end when it makes thematic sense. Yeah, that is interesting because I maybe I'm wrong in how long it took us to play the game. But I felt like we played it decently quick. But I thought because there's a timer at the end that is brought up thematically for it to make sense to speed up the game that it was not based on how long we were taking in terms of like, okay, well he has another game or they have another game. Like we need to rush now more like a element we saw in like 11 puzzles where it's, it's that like, even if you do so well, you now have to speed up. Yes. Like there's still a, you have to beat this timer, not the overarching one. Like another example with the timer that I thought was kind of the same in terms of speeding up certain specific moments is like 50 clues. You know, because in that one, you you're doing a puzzle, but then randomly it goes, OK, well, you have solved this as fast as possible. You're like, oh, crap. And you see a timer show up and now you have to like do that puzzle very quickly. You know, so I, I thought it was mostly that element. But it does make sense that if you had to play this game during normal hours and there was another experience before or after that, it is timed. There is at some point where the actor or the experience has to end if you were doing so poorly. That is that is intriguing. It's like I said, I just didn't see it that way because it, it's not clear at all. And we also played it like not a time where there's someone like after us, you know, so it or at least that we didn't know. I didn't know if we had someone. Uh, yeah, I think this was I, I think it was set up especially, but I think it's a giant credit to the game designer because in so many other things that we see, time is either one of the most important elements or it's something that you're told to just discard and enjoy. And timers historically in puzzle games, whether you talk about escape rooms, video games, it's so important. It's so important. So I want to hash out that a little bit in the different avenues and the different formats that we play. Let's go for our bread and butter. When we're playing a tabletop escape game, talk to me about the timers that you remember, the timers that matter, and maybe even some of the ones that didn't matter. It just depends. Like, I mean, we've played many different games that have many different timer types. I mean, we've played some. I mean, you can do like the classic like unlocks or the exit games where there's a timer, you know, and it's all about just playing the game and certain things can affect that timer. But like, like if you fail at something, it will go down, so on and so forth. But it's generally just like timer matters. It's there the entire time. Watch it go down. Yes. And beat it before the time runs out. You know, classic escape room style. Um, we've played games where the timer is only brought up at certain points in the game to specifically make you speed up through certain elements, like 50 clues, you know, and, but that's most of the timers that we interact with. They're generally very normal in, in terms of 
they're there either like to catch the exact speed that you're going at when you're doing certain things, or it is there the entire time you're watching it go down. Yes. Yes. And And then we play some games where there's none. Right. Right. And we play some games where we're none. And that we've brought that up before in saying that we feel like one of the advantages of the at-home puzzle and mystery world is that more often than not play the game at your leisure, right? If you want to beat this game and one night in one setting, knock yourself out. If you want to spend 20 hours on this, that's your prerogative. But now that we're moving towards this digital world, one of the things that's going to come back into play more so is timeframes. And I agree with you. What you said earlier is a lot of the at-home puzzle and mystery games, especially the escape room style games, they offer you the opportunity to time yourself if you'd like to rank yourself. But the only ones that I can really remember to where it matters and there's like a fail mechanic based on time is some of the unlocks that we've played. Uh, I'm specifically thinking of the uh, the Nautilus submarine themed game had some time mechanics in it that were work that we struggled with a little bit. But by and large, I feel like the tabletop world has been wise to just remove that and set themselves apart from the escape room world because Honestly, I think if you'd ask anybody, like most people would love to slow escape rooms down and not feel like there was so much pressure on them. Right. Because that's that's the word that Mm -hmm. I feel like comes to mind when I'm playing the escape room is I the the timer is ever present, especially in this kind of escape room earlier generational style. It's like it's almost this like protagonist or I'm sorry, antagonist in the game that's like driving you mad. It's it's puzzles against time equals win is the formula. And that's part of the business mechanics of an escape room as well. Right. But that is ever present here in Dracula's new friends, but you're just so blissfully unaware of it until you really think of it. So as most people know, who listen to the show, Jared and I do come from a background in escape rooms we're kind of a little bit biased in terms of how the timer interacts with the games and how we feel about that element of having the timer in the competitive aspect, you know, cause that's something I almost like expected in these games when I first started playing, like I thought that was normal is that there is a timer. It played like an escape room at home. And so you almost like expect that element when you're very used to it or that like when we play certain games, I just expect that timer to play in that element or like be styled that way. You know, it's very traditional. Timer runs down. Timer matters in terms of playing competitively. But if you don't care about that, it's just getting out before timer runs out. Right. Right. Or playing your experience and beating it before timer runs out. So I, I get how the timer works, but it's interesting because the timer is such a hot topic. You know, there are many people who think, like you said, that they should just drop it entirely. You know, because I think some experience, I say, I think some of my favorite experiences don't have timers. Absolutely. And you wouldn't want them to. No, but but there are games that I've played that if they didn't have a timer, but they still played the same way as like an at home escape room, it would be weird if they didn't have a timer. You know, like it would feel really off playing like in my example, playing it unlocked without a timer. Yeah, just because how they're formatted to play. Yes. Right. The timer matters. Making mistakes matters. It would be weird in those elements not having those. But I timers are just so fascinating. They can be the greatest thing in a game in terms of making me enjoy it more in terms of the competitive aspect. And it lets me f- look over certain elements of games because I'm more enjoying like the competitive aspect and the time and yes. everything. And then there's games where no timer is just the most beautiful element of it. Like, just let me experience it at my own pace at any time, any day. 
And I don't have to worry about if Jim Bob did it 50 seconds faster than me, you know, God, Jim Bob, he's always just trying to one up us. True. No, I think you bring up some good points because I think personally, by and large, um, I would like to get rid out rid of the timer in a lot of whether they're escape room or at home puzzle and mystery games, just so I can kind of play things more like a video game, honestly. Right. Like yeah. at my own pace and but I do agree with you. I do like it for the competitive sake. It it adds urgency, right? You can't deny that, right? It's what yeah. forces people to take hints sometimes. It kind of lets you gauge how well you did it as a marker for a lot of different things. But that doesn't always mean that it's used well or properly. Mm. So I thought it was masterfully done in Dracula's New Friends because it was there. It wasn't mentioned until it needed to be mentioned. You didn't, you didn't think about it. Like I didn't feel rushed by it. The only time I would say that I've really enjoyed a timer in a game is if you've ever played like a five minute game or like a five minute escape room. I absolutely love the thrill and urgency that comes with that, like freak out panic, almost game show esque hustle that, is going through meeting an objective under such a stressful time frame. I know people that hate those games. I oh, I I'm, I'm very much a person that can't do those. There's like a, there's that game called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes about the the bomb going off. Not your game. That is so cool because it's hilarious watching people stress under it. But I'm the person that gets mad because I either like really am enjoying and having a fun time, or I start getting pissed off because I can't do it fast enough. Right, but they, but there's a there's a split element to that. I'm talking if it oh, was yeah. just you, like oh, a, I think it'd still be worse. Okay, Jared will tell you my experiences with Simon Says. That game could f off. Okay, <laughs> that with the t- well, sorry, Simon Says as a lone game with no timer is fine. Adding an escape room with a timer that's beeping down at you while Simon Says is playing. Not is infuriating. Not your favorite combination of timing and puzzle mechanics. Oh, I remember that. That's so funny to me. But yeah, I, I just think it's really engaging the timer element. It, it, it probably deserves to be talked about more. But if you're a player out there and listening, just, just think about that. Like, soak in the next time that you see a timer done really well because I think they're thrown in there because people just assume it's a part of the medium. I, and, and again, I think that's an important decision to make. If it's there, give it a reason, theme it, make it a part of what's going on. Or I think like today is an excellent example is if you have a live game master that is in control of time, they did a wonderful job of nudging us, of knowing where their markers of where a team needs to be. And that's a whole different episode where we can discover fail philosophy. Should teams be allowed to fail or do teams deserve to move throughout an entire experience and be in some situations almost like strollered along, mm-hmm. like thrown in and moved apart from their own free will? I think that would be another interesting topic in the future. And that kind of plays directly in with the timer. But I just think it's a fascinating. Re- it was just such a fascinating realization to me to go, oh, my gosh, that game had a timer and we were never mm-hmm. really aware of it. Like so great. Think about that if you're a player, if you're a creator as well, think about how you can up your timer game. I think it's one of the the biggest um, areas and rooms for growth for so many digital avatar games. And if it's an important part of what you're building in a tabletop, how can you do that well? 
Is it optional? Does it have to be there? These are the type of things that you should absolutely think about is if you're working through an experience. That's going to wrap us up for Puzzles to the People. We've got questions for creators coming at you next. There are some really awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Jared here again, asking you to keep your eyes peeled this month for your chance to join our email list. Signing up will grant you access to our Puzzles Almanac, which will be emailed to you quarterly. This almanac houses the latest in games, reviews, and discounts to all the games that you love. Additionally, anyone that signs up will automatically get three free digital games to enjoy with your friends and family. Keep those eyes peeled, Puzzling Company. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here we are in questions for creators. We've actually talked about this creator more than any other creator that we've had on the show because they were our game master and they played such an integral role to the experience. So I'm super excited to get to break that down and talk to them about that because most other people, games that we play, they're not there for it, right? Like that's an interesting, interesting uh dissection of an interview that we're going to get to have. So I'm super excited to do this, but don't want to waste a whole lot of time. Let's get to know them. So tell us your name and then tell us a little bit about your company. Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm Jeremy Kane, born 1992. I am the proprietor of Mojek Hyper Industries. We currently have uh, one game out that's Dracula's New Friends. You can check it out at highmojek.com. That's H-I-M-O-J-E-C.com. I formed this company as my fourth time, uh, fourth experience working in escape rooms. So I have been fired, quit, laid off, and now started my own company, all to work in escape rooms. Uh, I have friends all over the world because I've been lucky enough to travel and live in some really nice places so the opportunity to make an online game that anyone in the world can play as long as they have internet and a computer is very, very meaningful to me. The holy grail that I would like to make one day is an online escape room that does not require language so that my friends who don't speak English can play with my friends who do speak English. Jeremy, we know that you've traveled quite a bit, moved quite a bit, spent some time overseas. Tell us about that, and is that an influence in the games that you make and you want to make? Yeah, the first thing that I think of is, uh, so I, I lived in South Korea for three years in and around Seoul, and there's one company there that's fantastic. They're called Seoul Escape, and they have a couple, you know, like a dozen locations with about like 30 rooms. They're, they're fantastic. They're really, really good. And all of their games are bilingual. So if you pick up a note that has a clue on it, it's English on one side and Korean on the other. And I've played many of their games with friends who were native English speakers and friends who were native Korean speakers. And getting to play together with them was very meaningful and one of the reasons why our relationships and friendships are so close. I've also played rooms that were all in Korean and I was playing with only native English speakers and it was very difficult um yeah so there was one time it was a toy story themed room and the first third of the room was all puzzle was all riddles and riddles are already hard enough in your own native language and then in a language that we can't read we ended up using the gm's help on every single puzzle to the point where eventually the gm just came into the room and just 
slowly held our hands and we're like okay thank you we're sorry we're so dumb and we'll go and study korean we swear you know so doing that and also another thing with traveling is um i remember i was in cambodia visiting and i googled like okay well what are the escape rooms in cambodia and there was one um there was like an egypt theme room it's like oh wow it's, it's cool. Like I love Egyptology and all that. And it's cool that it's popular all over the world. But at the same time, if you're an enthusiast, you've played so many Egyptian themed rooms, you don't want to go around the world and just to play another Egypt themed room. So how can I make my room very special and unique for someone for whom it's their first, second, or 100th game? So Dracula's new friends, it's horror it's dracula it's the gothic experience but it's very friendly it's very charming it's good for kids which you know horror for kids is something that is really really wonderful and time tested everything from um goosebumps to you know monster house or paranorman jeremy we know game mastering means a lot to you we know you've been nominated and have gotten awards for your game mastering and for your experiences and we clearly saw when we played dracula's new friends so can you tell us the philosophy of your game mastering number one if i'm having fun they're having fun and i guess before that priority zero it is not about making sure they escape it's about making sure that they have a good time uh, that the players do so that means as much promoting fun as it does managing frustration. And my time working um, with Summer Herrick at Locurio, you know, this is in their handbook, um, how to deal with, you know, player frustration. It's for anyone who's worked in a, a live GM setting um, in a live escape room, they know that players will strongly stand, stand still and put their hands on their hips when it's time for a hint. You're like, okay. They, they need a little push now. That's like the, you know, the marker between like they're frustrated because they're actively working on something or they're frustrated because they're stuck and they're starting to have a bad time. So that's the first thing to, to look at. The second thing that I think about for GMs is variety and interest because I got to a point at one company where I could run games in my sleep. You know, where it's just like, okay, the players are at this point. I'll give them this standard hint. It's the same thing again and again. And it becomes, as all things do, it becomes work and a chore. Uh, so when I was designing this game, Dracula's New Friends, I wanted to put in things that would make it really exciting for a GM, where each game there's going to be something new, a way that players can surprise them. And that's why I put in these little sort of scavenger hunt, show and tell pieces there so that the GM can really have some improvisation, have some character work, a little bit more theater, which, you know, I do see a, a trend. I hope for a trend of like more theatrical, more engagements, you know, that live person interaction that is so fun and so worth it. That's much better than just being locked in a, you know, on air conditioned, unheated control room for, you know, 10 hours and then telling them, uh, yeah, you need to hold the lock upside down you know, or whatever. Jeremy, we spent the whole middle section of our show talking about timers, and I think you just did such a masterful job of hiding that from us, even though the fact that it's a reality in the game. Tell us about, I guess, how you hid that, the decisions, and maybe your philosophy on timers, if you have one. Yeah, I, I think um, 
this was a while ago listening to, I can't remember his name now. He's the designer for Miss Jezebel and the Tiki Room in Los Angeles. And the interview with him where he talks about in the Tiki Room where you earn time instead of losing time as you solve puzzles, which I think is fantastic because it's getting very played out this 60 minute like ah oh, you're in prison and all the guards are on break for exactly 60 minutes you know like okay cool or like the the virus is going to destroy the world but it's going to wait 59 minutes like okay and i find like the timer can be a distraction from the room it can be very hard to make the timer make sense in the room that's a real contradiction to a lot of the immersion so i you know i want my players to focus on the beauty of the artwork to focus on enjoying their time with the puzzles and, and all of that and then i do introduce at the very end no matter how much time is actually left i tell them like oh, okay there's only 10 minutes left we gotta go and it introduces that that rush that fun that thrill to get moving and i haven't yet had any teams fail to do it, which is great. I do not care at all about success and failure rates. Uh, I want them to have fun. That is the most important part. And if they see all of it, they're more likely to have fun and think like, wow, we did it. We got to the end. So I want to not have any timer. That, you know, that would be lovely. But of course, the experience does need to end because, you know, I can't have unlimited time and run a couple games you know, a night or a day. So there was, I've seen really, really good ones. The one you recommended to me, the Chinese restaurant uh, in Dallas, where, you know, the food critic is coming in 60 minutes and the owner's not here. So you got to make the food. Fantastic idea for the timer. So, you know, I either want it to be really, really good, like the Chinese restaurant uh, at Perfect Escape in Dallas, or I don't want any timer at all. Jeremy, what have you learned from starting your company to game mastering these games? What have you kind of learned about all these experiences and what advice would you give to other people potentially wanting to do the same thing? Uh, let's see how to, to say this without being too uh, negative or depressing. It's definitely over in terms of online entertainment because, you know, live escape rooms are available now with Mast. The windfall that came to the creators who were able to get an online escape room out in the winter of 2020 uh, has definitely passed. And that's too bad, but at the same time, you know, online games are always going to be available. So going forwards, you know, I'll be honest, my dreams of making this my full-time position are definitely out the window. But at the same time, I have it made and it's available, um, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evenings. And it will always be because it takes no, there's no rent to pay. You know, the web hosting fees are minimal. You know, I easily make my year's worth of web hosting fees in a month, which is great. So yeah, the biggest challenge was, um, yeah. So that, and also marketing to, I do not have any experience. I do not have a vibe. I do not have any conditioning for marketing. I hate it. It feels very icky to me to shill myself out online, which is another big reason why 
our game hasn't been as popular as it could be. Um, which on the one hand, I'm fine with that. I'm not, you know, making, I'm not, you know, going on Facebook and trying to make inane Facebook posts or trying to become a social media manager. So that is, I guess, a roundabout way of answering the question. You can make the best game in the world, but if it's not marketed well, then it's going to be a flop. We have to know if there's going to be more games. Are you in design of more avatar games? Are you working with other mediums? What can we expect from the future of your company? The next game is uh, not going to be live avatar. It'll be um, more point and click, play at your own pace, uh, still through Telescape. They introduced a new feature a couple months ago where you can interact with uh, buttons and things in a video. So the little puppets that I use for the transition that have been just a surprise hit, it's going to be like that. And what I'm trying to engineer is a sort of like advanced truth or dare kind of situation where you're going to like be really bringing up your own answers. And what I'm trying to work out right now is a kind of, you know, truth or dare slash Jackbox where just like, you know, like, okay, or do you find Jeremy's answer satisfactory? Yes or no. Um, you know, how can I tally that and work on that and theme it? Well, uh, the language agnostics game is taking a lot more time and care because I really want to have more experience um, with Telescape and putting things out before I make this magnum opus game, you know, so I'm just making some smaller things. And also, uh, I've played language agnostic games before, but it's a lot of like tangram puzzles, basically. And then what I like to call wacky algebra, which I absolutely loathe in escape rooms, where it's like bunny plus two equals your tax returns. Like, what? I, you know, so math is fun for people who like math. Um, and I'm not one of those people. So yeah, the future for Mojek Hyper Industries is basically my side project from now on. But yeah, and it's, I'm really excited that I can just put out games as I can, excited to put out little smaller experiences too, you know, like 10, 15 minute games as well, instead of um, the 60 minute, you know, which is definitely like 60 minutes means you can charge more, you can make it more lucrative, more sustainable as a business. But now that um, for me, I can, I'm not looking for this to be my bill payer. I can afford to do a lot more experimental, smaller things that'll, you know, make the big thing even better. Yeah. And a question we ask everyone, what are the games you're currently playing? Is it video games, board games, escape rooms? What's something that you're playing currently that you would recommend others to try out? Of course, I've been playing Wordle, you know, the hot game of the moments. Uh, it's good. You know, it's your mastermind and scrabble together. The conversation that I've been having with most of my friends that's been good is what are your opening words? You know, like what words do you start with? You know, do you have a consistent one? Do you change it up? So that's been really fun. And then I'm going to plug the, the fan favorite Pokemon Go. I still play. It's great. Um, Pokemon Go is one of the best ways I found making friends when I lived in South Korea. I would go out there and, and find groups to play with. Yeah, it's it's good. You know, thanks for this opportunity. It's been magical on this journey. The most difficult thing about making a game is the business and all of this. And for anyone out there who's interested in creating a game, it's, you know, with Telescape, you know, you get 10 free credits if you sign up. So you can just make a cool little game on your own in your spare time. 
But uh, at least once a month on the Facebook groups and on the Discord, I see someone post like, I've got a really great idea for an escape room for this experience. And then someone with experience comments, that's great. Do you know how to install drywall? Do you know how to hire employees? Do you know how to form an LLC? Then there's so much of that that I you know, was not part of the curriculum when I was in art school, something that has only been you know, rude awakenings and last minute learnings. To my younger self, I'd say, you know, take some more management courses, take, you know, get some more mentoring and those hard skills, you know, those business management skills, find a way to work with people who will do that for you, which is the boring answer. It's the sucky answer, but it's without that, there can't be any of the fun parts. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show. Super pumped to have you. If you're interested in playing Dracula's New Friends, all you need to go is to H-I-M-O-J-E-C dot com. Or you can just go to Google, search Dracula's New Friends. You'll get to where you need to be. Be sure, if you enjoyed the game and have already played it, to give Jeremy some feedback, a review, an email, something that will absolutely help a creator make their game better or just give them an encouragement. We would love for you to do that. Zach, how can uh, people help us out? Give me your money. No, that's it. I'm totally kidding. Um, you can, though, support us on Patreon. Uh, that's one of the most, That's I would say, my favorite way. You can do that. You can go on there and look at the different tiers and support us on that. We'd super appreciate it. It's been awesome since opening the Patreon, how many people we've had supporting us, being able to talk to some of those great people. You can also follow us on social media. So you can go to Instagram at Puzzling Company or Facebook at Puzzling Company. Follow us on there. You can send us DMs on there as well. And the last thing you do is wherever you listen to this podcast, if that's Spotify, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, wherever, you can leave us a nice five-star review. We'd super appreciate it. That would be amazing. I agree. Zach, that, that's going to wrap us up for this month. Do you know what we're kicking off next month with? Absolutely no idea. What if I said it's very graphic? Graphic? Is it Murder & Co.? Murder & Co., that is it. We are going to be... Back in a little bit of a murder kick. Super excited to jump back into more of that style of thinking and mystery. So excited to start off the month of February with Murder & Co. Be sure to check out that episode and we'll be pumped to see you guys then. Zach, anything else in closing? I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been supporting us for the last year and for the beginning of season two. It's been awesome. I'm excited to be back in the studio next time because uh, please get me out of my apartment. I'm tired of being here. Hashtag yeah. free Zach. Free Zach. Yes. Free me, please. We've got him healthy. We're going to be back next month together, reunited, and it feels so good. You want me to start singing? I could break out into song right now. I I'm good. I you know, I've heard you sing enough in my lifetime. I, I think we're fine. Hurtful yet understandable. <laughs> for yeah. That is going to wrap us up for Puzzling Company. This is Jared and Zach. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast.